Last week, we started our fall series, People of the Way. Uh, you'll remember long before the church was called the church, long before the followers of Jesus were called Christians, they were called the people of the way. Kind of a good name, actually. It feels dynamic. It, it speaks about a people who are in motion. We're in the process of becoming something. We're moving, hopefully, creatively and dynamically and winsomely, energetically through the world that he has sent us to. We're the people of the way. And so for six weeks through the fall season, we're going to explore what they meant when they used that language. What did it mean to be the people of the way? What was the way? And we know that the, uh, that the origin of the term probably has its roots in the words of Jesus himself. You'll remember uh, that in that climactic conversation that Jesus has, when the people say, we don't quite understand what you're getting at. All this talk about life and death and resurrection. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So obviously, this language of the way has something to do with Jesus. He's the source of it. He's also the destination. He's not just the beginning, he's the end. The Bible says as much. He is the Alpha and he is Omega. Uh, he's also our traveling companion. The way is also kind of a guide, if you like, a series of practices, guidance for the journey. I mean, if you had a long road ahead of you and it had its winds and its unsteady terrain, how important would it be if somebody handed you a guidebook, a topographical map? Uh, understanding the terrain, the challenges that are ahead. So the way is a series of practices based on and grounded in ancient wisdom, practices that were taught by and modeled by Jesus, practices that have been adopted by his followers for centuries. Maybe some of you will remember our theme verse for the series. Anybody remember what it is? Of course, Solomon. Do you want to try it for us? Praise God. Solomon, God has given you an incredible memory for his words. Jeremiah 6.16, this is what the Lord God says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask, where is the good way? And then walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. We're trying to commit those words to memory. We're going to be returning to them often, Jeremiah 6, 16. We're going to be asking throughout the series, where is the good way? We aspire together to walk in it. And we're going to ask that God can use the messages that he brings to us to add a little bit of bounce to your step, a little bit of pep to your day. To, to take your slumped shoulders and bring them back a little bit, some brightness to your eyes. We don't want to just be drudging our way through. We want to be people of the way with dynamic energy and excitement. Last week, we started with the foundational step, the first step, if you'd like, the, the step that undergirds all the other steps. And we said, if you get this step right, Everything else kind of flows from it. If you get it wrong or if you skip it, 
everything else feels just kind of like ticking off boxes in some sort of self-help manual. It's going to feel routine and cumbersome. That first step, two words, give up. (laughs) Give up. And we don't mean that as a kind of statement of defeat. We're talking about the act of surrender. And you remember the, the words of Jesus, the model prayer of Jesus, your will be done. That's the foundation for the whole series, your will be done. And we gave it to you in shorthand. Remember the shorthand, three phrases, I can't, God can, and then I think I'll let him. I can't, God can, I think I'll let him. Surrender. How is it that you stay fresh in a climate of adversity? How is it that when things aren't going the way that you planned or that any of us expected, how is it that when disappointment comes, we can not just survive, but actually find a way to thrive? I can't. God can. I'll think. I'll let him. And it's in answering those specific questions about not just surviving, but thriving, that we come to today's message. And we titled it, Refresh. How many of you feel like it would be good to be refreshed after 18 months of enduring what we've endured? Refresh. Uh, How is it that you change the automatic flow of, of thoughts and desires and emotions and perceptions that are running through our minds? Because really that's where it all starts, isn't it? Whether we feel refreshed or depleted, it, it starts here. You can have a body that in some ways is failing you and still be fresh here. And you know them because they're here and some of them are sitting around you. They've, they've dealt with physical limits, David, that would, that would honestly hobble us. And yet there is a brightness to your smile, an engaging presence that you bring to the room because there can be a freshness that's happening within. It's a strange thing, really, when you think about how we treat our minds. Somebody has a high-performance car. used to be somebody who brought a Porsche to the church occasionally. (laughs) We all practice the discipline of non-envy. But uh, you have a... You have a high-performance car. You don't fuel it up with the cheapest fuel, do you? You use high-octane gasoline. A high-performance athlete, very careful about what's on the plate in front of them, regimented, diligent. You watch them when they run. They're packing all of these things. I mean, hydration and, and, uh, and special gels and high-energy supplements. Veterinarians say that there are 50 key ingredients that you need to give your cat. Your cat. There are certain antioxidants that are good for the brain of aging dogs. So in Canada and the U.S., just us alone, we're going to spend $40 billion this year on carefully formulated pet food. But here's what's remarkable. We can be unbelievably careful about what we put in our cars and in our bodies and into our pets and remarkably careless about what we put in our minds. And whatever kind of junk is just floating out there in social media, whatever absurd 
clickbaity headlines are there, whatever non-edifying material is being streamed out into your devices, or there in magazines, or conversations, or, or just rags there in the grocery store that are filled with gossip and crassness and envy. And those will be the things that are feeding and nourishing our minds. And yet, and yet to a very large extent, the kind of mind that I cultivate will determine the kind of life that I live and the person that I become. And what's more, and we don't talk about this very much, but what's more is that you and nobody else, you are in charge of what you put in your mind. You are the stewards of your mind. And we can cry foul about all the bad stuff that's out there, but ultimately we are the gatekeepers for our own minds. We are in charge. And the great art of life, the great art of life is learning to direct your thoughts. That's your life. The ability to direct them well, that's the ultimate art of living. If you can stay fresh here, it doesn't matter what's going on out there. It will spill out of you, that, that freshness. And, and, and it'll be contagious in other areas of your life, in your relationships, in your work. You'll be the kind of employee the boss wants to have, the kind of friend that people will rally around. If you can have a mindset, let's say a, an elevated view of God, his goodness, his presence, his love, and that inspires you, you will become like a delicacy in the world. People will want to feast on your presence. But if your mindset is weighed down by worry and chronic discontent and ego and anger and fear, that's going to exhaust you. That's going to demoralize you. And that's going to spread. A great student of the mind, a man by the name of Chitsen Mihalai, he said, you know, there have been certain times in history when cultures have just taken it for granted. They knew that a person wasn't fully human unless he or she learned to master their thoughts and feelings. One of those times was Jesus' time. And one of those teachers was the master teacher himself, Jesus. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time at the feet of the master, learning how to stay fresh here. We're going to take our cue from that scripture reading that Andrew read for us this morning from 2 Timothy in chapter 3. No person has a great life without having a great mind. And I don't I don't mean scoring high on IQ tests. I mean a peaceful, surrendered, joyful mind. Nobody has a great mind unless they can feed it with great thoughts. And there is no greater source of great thoughts in human history than the Word of God. So this step, if you want to summarize it really simply in three words, here it is. You want to stay fresh? Read the Bible. Say those words together. You want to stay fresh? What are you going to do? Read the Bible. You're worried, discontented, you're tempted, you're discouraged, you're curious about something, 
you're feeling alone, you're needing wisdom, you, you want to feed your mind something better than all the junk around us, what should you do? Read the Bible. After the service, somebody asks you, what was this whole message about? You'll say, might not be a good message, but at least you're going to remember what it was about this week. Read the Bible, which leads to the next question, why? I mean, why read the Bible? I mean, it sounds like the sort of thing you'd expect to hear in the church. Why do it? Why a 2,000-year-old book written in a different language and a different culture seems kind of odd. There's lots of really old books out there. We don't read them. Well, for one thing, you might run into one of the human authors of a book of the Bible in heaven who wrote, and, and Malachi comes up to you and says, what, do you, what did you think of my book? And you'd have to say, uh, I actually never got around to reading it. Uh, it wasn't located terribly well, Malachi. I mean, it's kind of tucked in there right at the very end of the Old Testament. I just never got to it. <laughs> Why read the Word of God? Because it actually is that, the Word of God. To use Paul's word, the word that Andrew read for us, it is God-breathed. It is God-inspired. And while fully honoring the humanity and the culture of the authors who wrote the words physically on paper or papyrus or parchment, God uniquely used them and inspired them so that he could tell the great story of human existence and reveal himself as its author and as its primary character. Why read the Bible? What is it that reading does? Here's a few things that I heard as I asked around. Why read the Bible? It generates life. It just it brings life to us. It creates faith. It provides guidance. It makes the foolish wise. It makes the faltering strong. It makes the discouraged hopeful. It's the first book you give to a little child to read. It's the last book you read to a dying man. And it's so simple and yet so deep that the early fathers and mothers of the church used to say that a gnat could swim in it, but an elephant would drown in it. What a great expression. It corrects the erring. It inspires the daring. It encourages the despairing. It humbles those who are overbearing. And that's the end of my attempt at rap. But reading the Bible, it, it honors God. I'm sure it terrifies the devil. It, it reminds the lonely that they have love waiting for them in this life and heaven waiting for them in the next. And I promise you, I I promise you that on your deathbed, there is no book that will speak to you like the promises in this book will. And in this book, we discover not just how the world got made, but by whom and for what. From this book, you'll learn about your identity and your family you learn about your enemy and the awful calamity of sin in your life. You'll learn about your royal pedigree, that you are a child of the king. You'll learn about your eternal destiny as a citizen of heaven. And if that weren't enough, in this book, you're going to meet Jesus, who alone mastered life and conquered death. And the story of Jesus' actions and the story of uh, of his miracles and the unmatched brilliance of his teaching uh, 
and the eyewitness accounts of his death on the cross and his resurrection, you're not going to find them anywhere else. But they're right here. Is it any wonder that people like William Tyndale and John Rogers and so many others sacrificed their lives in order to make sure that this book was provided to the masses? And across the centuries, countless others, they've toiled away in anonymity, sometimes and often in great poverty, and knowing great suffering, to translate it into unknown human languages. And they've done so with such diligence and such persistence that the Bible is now available to 95% of the world's population. 95% of those on the planet now have access to the message of Jesus. There is no other book that comes anywhere close. An amazing book. But as amazing as it is, it does you... No good unless you do what? But here's the question. How often do I read it? How often do you read it? Survey of the average North American household said that 95% of all North American households own a Bible. No other book comes close. 95% of us own it. Most homes have multiple copies of it. 90%, if you'll ask them, believe that it still applies today. 86% believe that it's a holy book, a sacred book. This is a question being asked of church and non-church people alike, of Christian and non-Christian people alike. They still revere it as sacred, as important. And yet less than 30% read it at all in any capacity, including hearing it read at a gathering on the weekend, in a mosque, in a synagogue, in a church. Biblical literacy, all-time low. We're going to turn that around, right? starting today, starting with today's message. With a, if anybody asks you what today's message is about, it's about... <laughs> good, good, good. Just checking. You remember that first step about giving up? Give up? Uh, I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. Um, a way of thinking about today's step is to, is to think up. To think upward thoughts, to, to refresh and renew your mind by engaging regularly with the Word of God. And I, I want to give you, just in the time we have left, uh, one of the simplest frameworks that I know of for engaging the Bible. I'm not sure where it began, but I, I've heard it many times, many times through the years. It uses a little acronym called SOAP, S-O-A-P, SOAP. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus, Ephesians 5.26, He wrote to the church to be washed in the water of the word. To be washed in the water of the word. Like like soap gets through the fibers of dirty fabric, the word of God has a way of getting through the fibers of my life, of pushing through the fabric of my mind and cleansing it. Soap. So start with the letter S. S is going to be for scripture. We start there. Make a commitment to read scripture on a daily basis, on a regular basis. And I say scripture, not just a book. Because when we use the word scripture, what we're saying is that this is not just an old book. It's not just a revered book. It's not just a sacred book. This is a divine book, an inspired book. This is the book that God wants us to have. And he wants us to engage with it on a regular basis. 
I recommend daily, not as a mechanical thing, not as a legalistic thing, but we do all kinds of other things daily to renew our bodies. We eat daily, we sleep daily, because those are part of physical renewal. This is part of renewing our minds. Do it daily. You don't have to be heroic about it. Just read. Ironically, uh, do you want to guess what the number one reason is that people give for not reading the Bible? What do you think it is? Don't have enough time. Yeah. In fact, that is given like four times more frequently than any other reason. Don't have enough time. Part of this series is going to be dealing with denial in all aspects of our lives. We're just admitting that that in different facets of our lives we can be messed up or powerless, but what we're trying to do is reject the lame excuses that we tell ourselves. So let's come out of denial on this one. Don't have enough time. A recent survey found that the average person, Canadian household, spends about six hours a day on video. Of course, that doesn't apply to anybody here, I know. All of you with your screens open right in front of you. I see you. <laughs> yeah. Every media platform out there, including the church, by the way, is, is getting in on the video revolution. We cannot get enough of that. Our world is filled with screens. Television screens, computer screens, tablet screens, phone screens. And all the content that comes to us through all of those screens it's an incredible revolution. I mean, it's, it's opened up fantastic possibilities. But here's the thing. The more we depend on screens to guide our thoughts, the weaker our ability to direct the flow of thoughts and feelings in our minds because, in a sense, we're outsourcing that muscle. We have access through our screens, through our devices, to more great thoughts than anybody in history. But our ability to direct our own thoughts is weaker because of that. Why? Because we've outsourced that muscle. Not only do we watch, we binge watch. We used to hide that. Now we're proud of it. What is the next thing that we can binge watch on our screens? One of the things that we know about Jesus from reading the stories of his life is that he must have been a binge reader of Scripture. We know this because from the very beginning of his ministry, he interacted so consistently and completely with God's Word. The very beginning of his ministry, he uses Scripture to buttress and refresh his mind when he's in the face of temptation. At the very end of his life, again, he's using Scripture on the cross to express his heart to his Heavenly Father. And for every day in between, everything he did, everything that flowed out of, out of his life and his teaching involved a profound immersion in and a knowledge of the Word of God. You can make time. You can make time. You can do it first thing. You can do it last thing. You can do it middle thing. You can make time at work. You can make time after work. <clears throat> you can make time on the weekend. You can listen to it in your car. 
You can listen to it while you're getting ready in the morning. You can read it with a friend. You can read it while you're in the line at the grocery store. You can read it while you're in the line at the airport. You can read it while you're in the line at the coffee. Let's start a whole reading in line movement. It'll make you better as you're waiting in line. Less impatient. In fact, you get frustrated. Oh, did I get to the front already? I'm not finished. Yeah. But let's say you pick the time of day. What else do you need? Well, you need a Bible. Uh, you need one that you like. Um, and, and lots of you have a device, and, and that's great. Um, I, I think that's given phenomenal flexibility and mobility, and I use devices <clears throat> all the time. But here's the thing with a device. How many of you find that there are other apps on your device that compete for your attention while you're trying to read the Bible? And that little alert pops up, hey, somebody's on Facebook. (laughs) They just sent me a message. Uh, One of the things that this old-fashioned device does is allows for exclusivity of focus. There's going to be no pop-ups here. Uh, You can interact with this. So you need a Bible. I'm going to suggest that if you don't have a print one, that that you find one of these two. Uh, And you'll realize as soon as you start looking for a Bible in English that uh, that there are all kinds of options out there. And the reason is, the Bible wasn't actually written in English. You know this. Old Testament written in Hebrew, New Testament written in Greek. So anytime you're reading it, you're reading the very best attempt of translators to render those texts in English. Now, I often use the New International Version, but there are lots of versions that are out there. And uh, if you're looking for help, we'd be happy to find it. But let me say this. If you don't have a Bible a print version of the Bible. I'm going to invite you to take one from the church today. Just take it and find one. There's a bunch on the table there at the very back door. Just pick it up, take it home with you. And if you're wondering, won't I get in trouble for ripping off a Bible from the church? Probably, but just show a little backbone. Take it. (laughs) No, it's, it's ours. It's for you to take with you today. We have Bibles available. You can grab one from the table there. It's the New Testament. It's thin. You can stick it in, uh, in a purse, in a bag. Men, you could probably even stick it in a back pocket. It'll fit. Pick a passage in the Bible and just get started. Yeah. We don't want not having a Bible to be a barrier. We don't want not knowing where to start to be a barrier. And so if you're just starting fresh, Let me suggest you start with one of the accounts of the life of Jesus. It doesn't get any better than that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Pick one. They're all great. Pick one. If you can't pick, like you're the one who gets stunned as a deer in the headlights at Starbucks, and you just want to say, coffee? Well, here's the coffee answer. Pick John. Okay? Just start with John. Read it. Uh, As soon as you're finished reading it, you'll be so amazed you want to pick another one. Pick Matthew or Mark or Luke, but start there. If you've spent a little bit of time in the Bible and you're not sure what to do next, we prepared a reading guide at the back. Um, As a church, a bunch of us did this years and years ago, uh, but it's meant to be an annual reading guide, and it will immerse you in all of God's Word through the course of one year. You can pick whatever day you want to start, and you just work through the calendar, and you'll be reading a little bit of the Old Testament, a little bit of the New Testament, a little bit of the Gospels, a little bit of the beautiful poetry and wisdom literature, but that's also available at the back. But that's all you need. Don't complicate it. Start with a print version and just jump in. Start with Scripture. That's the S. Soap. 
S-O. O is for observe. Be curious as you read. Uh, we go on autopilot so much through life. Do you ever find you're on autopilot when you're reading? I do. Wow. And I'll have read three, four pages of whatever novel or textbook, and I realize I was just actually speaking the words in my mind. I wasn't paying attention. I don't know what I just read. Um, observe. One myth about the Bible is that it's a book only scholars can read. Not so. I mean, scholarship is a good thing. We value theological education here. And there are certainly a lot of complex issues in the Bible, as there are, I think, in any domain of knowledge. But any thoughtful person can come to the Scriptures and understand its primary message and be shaped by it. It's happened on every continent in every century from the moment God first placed his word on earth. But if you're looking for guidance, as you observe, here's a couple of things. Read slowly. Consciously slow yourself down. One of the ways to do this, you know, when the Bible was written, people were were largely illiterate, so if they heard it, they heard it being read out loud, and it was written for that purpose. Read out loud. It's going to sound silly, but it's not as silly as it once was because everybody looks like they're talking to themselves when they're wandering around in the street with their AirPods in. So you'll just look like you're talking to somebody, and you are. In fact, you're talking to God. Try reading out loud. There was a passage in, in one of the books by an ancient, ancient uh, Christian teacher, a man named Augustine. Uh, he, he was amazed when he came upon his friend Ambrose reading his Bible. And the thing that amazed him is that his lips weren't moving and words weren't coming out. And it was his first experience of somebody reading quietly to themselves. If you want to slow down your thoughts, try reading out loud. Try this too. Read a passage more than once. I mean, don't bite off a porterhouse steak size of the Bible. Just get a little piece and read it and be curious about what it says. In the book of uh, Timothy that we were reading this morning, there's this little phrase that says, continue in what you've read. You remember that, Andrew? Continue in what you've read. So you don't just read it and then go off and forget it. Let it remain in your mind. Let it kind of stick there for the day. Reflect on it. Absorb it. Meditate on it. Now, there's that word, meditate. How many of you just step back a little bit when you hear that word, meditation? Because either you think it belongs to a, a different sphere of the religious world, or you just think it's, this is an intimidating thing. It requires lots of special training, sitting on mountaintops and things like that. It doesn't. How many of you know how to worry? Remember, we're not in denial. How many of you know how to worry? The rest of you are in denial. Okay. Yeah. You didn't have to learn how to worry. If you can worry, you can meditate. Meditation is positive worry. It's how your mind gets changed. Think about it. In worry, what's going on? Your mind is, is going over a set of thoughts over and over and over again, but these are thoughts that drag you down. In meditation, I allow thoughts to repeat themselves over and over and over again. But these are thoughts that elevate me. You're going to worry by default, but probably you're not going to meditate by default, at least not initially. But as you surrender, as you start observing and reading, 
as you place those thoughts and let them go over and over and over in your mind, you find a freshness that comes into your life. S-O-A. A stands for application. Apply. Now, the primary purpose of books in the ancient world wasn't to provide information. It wasn't to provide information. It was to produce excellent persons. That's why most of the ancient books that we have are books of philosophy. Because, again, they're not trying to generate content for consumption. They're trying to provide a basis for transformation of character. This is especially true of the Bible. Listen again to what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, continue in scriptures. These scriptures that you've known from infancy, that are God-breathed and able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. They're useful in all aspects of life, so that as the servant of God, that's you and me and anybody, as the people of God, you'll be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's not so you can get an A on your Bible knowledge quiz. No, it's so that you're equipped, thoroughly equipped for good living and good work. And it happens mostly here in your mind because your life begins here and it flows from here in thoughts and feelings. You know, Jesus, Jesus didn't come just to, or probably not even primarily, to increase people's knowledge. He came to change people's lives. And people will confuse knowing the Bible as a book of facts with spiritual maturity. And they're actually two very different things. And I'll prove it to you. I want you to think now about a person that you've met at some point in your life who knows the Bible ten times or a hundred times better than you do. But they're not ten times more gracious, ten times more loving, ten times more forgiving, ten times more engaged in justice in the world. Why? Because it's not about information, it's about transformation. James. James, the brother of Jesus. Did you know that the brother of Jesus wrote a book in the Bible? It's there too. It's called the book of James. Smart bunch. Yeah. Yeah. This is how he put it. James 1.22. Don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So that little phrase is bonus material. Somebody asks you, what was today's message about? You'll say, and here's the second part. Do what it says. So today's message is about read the Bible and do what it says. And I know this sounds crazy simple, doesn't it? Do what it says. Read the Bible, do what it says. It's not rocket science, right? Yeah. Amen. The, the great summary of this that, that was applied, remember last week we talked a little bit about the Oxford movement, that beautiful movement that sees the principles of God's word and applied it in a healing way to those dealing with addictions? Here's the way they summarize it. Do the next right thing. Do the next right thing in your life. I mean, really, if you want to follow Jesus by surrendering your will, a really good thing is just do the next right thing. Read the book, 
Do what it says. Do the next right thing. Why is that important? The average person, we're told, makes 35,000 decisions a day. We are overwhelmed by them. Notice, though, when Jesus intervenes with somebody's life and the stories that you'll find because you read the Bible, usually he gives them one simple thing to do next. He healed and cleansed the leper. What does he say? Go and show yourselves to the priest. He heals a paralytic. What does he say? Take up your mat and walk. He raises up Jairus' daughter from the dead. What does he say to Jairus? Make her something to eat. Instead of being some elaborate multi-step plan or mission statement, he just gives simple instructions. Do the next right thing. Not always the next big thing, not the next dramatic thing, impressive thing, just the next right thing. Write somebody a note. Give somebody a gift. Serve someone. Notice somebody. Relax. Forgive. Laugh. These things will come to you as you read the word. Go outside and look at the world and say, Yay, God. What an incredible world you've made. Thank you. Be kind. Drive slower. Mention to somebody that you, in fact, do believe in God, even if it's scary to say so. Volunteer. Don't take yourself so seriously. Think about something noble or beautiful or good. Ask for help. Give somebody an unexpected compliment. Look in the mirror. Instead of being disappointed and discontented, say, my gosh, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, you good-looking son of a gun. (laughs) Just take a deep breath and smile. And if, if I forget, if I mess up, if I do the next wrong thing, remember that part in Scripture where God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And confess and receive mercy and ask for help and then do the next right thing. I can't, God can. I think I'll let him. It's not brain surgery. Read the book, do what it says, do the next right thing. Well, let's wrap it up. S-O-A, scripture, observe, apply. The P is for prayer. No surprise there, is it? Because we understand this is not just a human book, so reading it is not just a human activity. It's something uniquely that we get to do with God. And as you're reading, and particularly at the end of your reading, spend a few minutes and talk with God. Talk honestly and simply about what you've read. For centuries, people have found God in unique ways through reading his word. The very first Christian convert in Africa, we're told about this, in here, in the book of Acts, was an Ethiopian government official who met Jesus through reading God's word. Augustine, there's that name again, a great leader in the early church in its early centuries, was leading a troubled and confused life when one day he heard a voice whispering in his ears saying, take up and read, and he did, and he met Jesus in the Gospels. And it changed his life, and God used him to change the world. Down through the centuries, this happens again and again and again. People meet God here in the pages of his word. You have an amazing mind. 
I hope you know that about you. You have an amazing mind and it's a gift from God. Why not share it with him? Immerse it in God's word. I can't, but he can. We come to his God, we come to God's word, we say, God, would you take away my fear? I've got too much of it. Take away my worry, I've got too much of that. And the dishonesty and the greed and the self-preoccupation and the resentment, and just replace it with thoughts and feelings, with confidence, with love and peace and trust, with, with the deposits that you have left here in your word. And then gradually along the way, what do we get to learn as we refresh our minds? To take every thought, to take it captive to Christ. Oh my goodness. To have the peace of Christ which guards my mind. To be refreshed and changed through the renewing of my mind. By the way, these are all promises from God's word. To have the same mind that was in me that was in Christ Jesus. To set my mind on things above. To have a mind governed by the Spirit's life and peace. To be anxious for nothing. To be grateful in everything. To love the Lord my God with all my heart and mind and soul and strength. To have his joy in me so that my joy is complete. That's the relentless and refreshing fruit of God's word. So what are you going to do? Do what it says. Friends, next week is Thanksgiving. Uh, we're going to pause to celebrate that with God, and then we'll resume our journey as people of the way. Let me pray for you now as we close. Heavenly Father, thank you for the two remarkable gifts that we've talked about today. Our minds, with their ability to think and Imagine and feel and want and choose and dream. And the gift of your word. God, we, we want to be honest in front of you. We want to admit that, that often we've neglected the care of our minds. We allow them to go places they probably shouldn't go. We feed them things that they probably don't need. And so we find ourselves coming back to you in a fresh way. Because God, we know without you, we can't. With you, we can. So would you refresh and transform us now through the renewing of our minds. And God, for the book, for the scriptures, for this God-breathed gift. God, for that we give you thanks. Make us a people of the way. Make us a people of your book. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.